This is Solidarity News on Radio Labour. This is a Radio Labour World Report recorded on Friday, March 3rd, 2023. I'm Mark Boulanger. In the report this week, what teachers are doing to help the children of Ukraine? How corporations are making huge profits selling educational software to schools and parents. The Labour Start report about union events and singing. This is Radio Labour. In Ukraine, more than 400 children have been killed in the war. Hundreds have been injured and thousands have been traumatized. Many labor organizations have been trying their best to help. One of those organizations is the American Federation of Teachers. The AFT represents almost 2 million teachers, other educators, and other workers. It recently organized a trip to Ukraine to help schools and school children survive the war as best as possible. I talked to one of the people in the delegation to Ukraine, Sherry Obrinsky, about the trip. Ms. Obrensky is the president of the Cleveland Teachers Union in Ohio. She is also a vice president of the AFT. I asked her about the purpose of the visit and what happened. Back in October, our AFT president, Randy Weingarten, had taken a trip to Ukraine, specifically to Lviv, and had talked with labor leaders and city leaders there and asked them at that time what we could do as an organization to help. And one of the big asks that they had was for generators for preschools and kindergartens in the Lviv area. With the damage to the electricity infrastructure in the country and also with the continued threats and bombardments that they have in the area, these preschools and kindergartens are often without power. And of course, that makes it very difficult for them to heat the schools, to provide hot meals, and also to light their schools, including lighting their bomb shelters. So the ask from city leaders at Lviv was for AFT to provide generators so that they could continue the education with as little disruption as possible at those preschools and kindergartens. Just a couple weeks ago, the AFT was able, along with the Ukrainian Children's Action Project and other partners from uh, our area, to go to Ukraine and deliver the first shipment of generators to preschools and kindergartens. We delivered about 20 generators, and there'll be another shipment that will be a shipment that will make sure that all of the preschools and kindergartens have a generator. The AFT has partnered with the Ukraine Children's Action Project to provide support for children traumatized by the war. Tell us about that initiative. Dr. Redlener and Karen Redlener are the founders of the Ukrainian Children's Action Project. They are really amazing people who do a lot of work in a lot of different areas, particularly around children's issues and trauma. And AFT has been working with them on the generators, but also more long-ranging around trauma 
and the impacts of trauma on children and how we can work together to help children through this very traumatic time, both now and when the war is finally over, how to get children back into school, back into life and moving on into successful adulthood. So we have worked with them providing summer camps for refugee children, as I said, working on this generator project and now working on a more long-term project around how to create training for adults to help children who have experienced extreme trauma. Last year, AFT members traveled to Poland to provide on-the-ground educational support to Ukrainian and Polish students affected by the traumas of war. Can you tell us about that project? Certainly. We were lucky enough to have members from around the country who volunteered to spend about three weeks in Poland working with our teachers union colleagues in Poland to provide summer camp experiences both academic and also more fun experiences for Ukrainian and Polish children. Our teachers, our educators had training ahead of that camp, and then they went and lived in the area and provided just a a nice respite for these kids for about three weeks to, again, help them with their education and some of the gaps that they may have had due to displacement from the war that's raging in their country, but also to have fun kid experiences that every kid should be able to have in the summertime. The future of education may be tied to the ever-increasing influence of big corporations trying to make profits from schools and parents teaching their children at home. To explore what this could mean, Education International produced a podcast on education technology and democratic accountability. EI is the global union which represents 30 million teachers and other educators in 172 countries. The podcast was hosted by Martin Henry, EI's research coordinator. He interviewed Neil Selwyn, a professor at the Faculty of Education at Monash University, Australia. So, Neil, we've been kicking this tech ball around for a while here at EI, and um, it's with real pleasure that we talk to you about some of the knotty issues here that, that are really causing us quite a lot to grapple with around democratic accountability and education governance. So to kick us off, when we look at the burgeoning edtech sector, what do you think are the quintessential drivers of profit and what impact does this have on both teachers and students? Yeah, thanks for that, Martin. I've been looking at this topic since 1995, so... It doesn't feel like it's burgeoning. It feels like it's a kind of life sentence. I mean, EdTech has been around for a long time. The main driver, as always, is selling tech to schools and universities for profit. The main problem is that selling tech to schools and universities is not particularly profitable. So I think one of the main outcomes of this is that we get shoddy products. We get low-quality tech, low-quality systems. I remember doing interviews before in the new Labour government in the UK, when they had a big push for the National Grid for Learning, we were talking to a big tech company and he just said, schools are the easiest customers to sell to by a margin. They never question anything and they put up with kind of substandard software because they want to pay less for it. So that's that's my concern at the bottom end. I mean, and also that 
schools and universities are being sold tech that's often not very well suited to education. Uh, systems and software and devices that are developed for, for business. You know, PowerPoint is des- designed for business boardroom pitches. It's not designed for kind of primary school kids being creative. So that, that to me, is some of the main concerns. It's profit-driven and it's shoddy technology. It's tech designed for business and actually tech that doesn't often work as it should do. I think now you're right. It, it, we could call it burgeoning. Things have changed in the last 30 odd years that I've been around. And, and the ed tech market now is dominated by big tech actors. It's no longer very small, bespoke education companies. We've got the Googles and the Amazons and the Microsofts and everybody else involved. But again, I think these companies are mainly involved in education, perhaps as a loss leader. They're not making squillions of dollars from this. It might be part of a kind of total market domination you know we've got communities we've got hospitals we've got you know domestic consumers we've got business we might as well have schools as well back in the day some of these companies used to talk about schools as a great place to kind of groom future consumers you know you get kids used to using google five they'll use google products when they're 25 and there is also an element of you know corporate social responsibility it feels good to be involved in education and you know lots of these companies big tech companies do think they can make a difference and and change the world and the other thing that's changed and makes the market burgeoning is we do see a lot of much smaller scale chances, might be a word I'd use. I'm not sure if that translates to every every country, but kind of fly-by-night companies that see an opportunity or a niche where they can make a little bit of money around the edges. You know, Uber has dominated the taxi market, but perhaps we can make money by being an Uber for education. Here with his report about union events is Labour Start correspondent Derek Blackadder. This week, our top story section included links to coverage of Google workers organizing successes in Japan, attacks on the Yemeni journalist union's leaders and headquarters, and the impressive work Peru's unions are doing in organizing for a new presidential election. We also carried stories detailing the developing national scandal in the United States after a New York Times expose of the exploitation of migrant child workers in a wide range of industries. We also covered the arrests of striking steelworkers in Iran and why police are harassing Turkish trade unions even as they continue to mobilize their resources and members to assist in earthquake recovery efforts. On our Working Women page, you'll find news about planned International Women's Day events for next week, organizing successes by sex workers in New Zealand, and a new report detailing the extent of workplace and societal gender inequality in Fiji. Stories appearing on our Health and Safety page and Newswire this week included the news that transgender journalists in Pakistan had been attacked and work under continuous threats of further violence. We also covered complaints by isolated Australian workers that the food provided by their employer is rotten and causing them to become ill. The situation is so bad that the workers are threatening to quit en masse. Our current photo of the week is a shot of one of thousands of wage strikes underway around the world, this one in Argentina, organized by that country's union for security workers. As the cost of living crisis continues, so do unions' organizing efforts. This is Derek Blackadder from Labor Start, reporting for Radio Labor. Now here's the new Harmony Sisterhood Band with Union Made. There once was a union maid who never was afraid Of the goons and the gigs and the company thinks and the deputy sheriffs who made the raid She went to the union hall when the meeting it was called 
around. No, you can't scare me. I'm sticking to the union. I'm sticking to the union. I'm sticking to the union. No, you can't scare me. I'm sticking to the union. I'm sticking to the union till the day I die. This union mate was wise to the tricks of company spies. She wouldn't be fooled by company stools. She'd always organize the guys. She'd always get her way when they asked for higher pay. She'd show her card to the National Guard, and this is what she'd say: Oh, you can't scare me. I'm sticking to the union. I'm sticking to the union. I'm sticking to the union. Oh, you can't scare me. I'm sticking to the union. I'm sticking to the union till the day I die. Just the ladies, they will fight for equal pay, and we will have our say. We're workers too, the same as you, and fight the union way. Oh, you can't scare me. I'm sticking to the union. I'm sticking to the union. I'm sticking to the union. Oh, you can't scare me. I'm sticking to the union. I'm sticking to the union till the day I die. Hey. And that's it. Labor news you can use. You can listen to our daily newscasts and features at radiolabor.net. I'm Mark Belanger. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's all about global solidarity.